Hey everybody, welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. It's Matt here, and at the end of this episode, I'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Journey app where you can access all of our recent message content. And actually, the app's the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and to keep up with everything going on around here at Journey. Just search Journey Calway in your app store. Now, most importantly, I hope this message inspires you to take your next step in following Jesus. So let me start by asking you a question, and I think this is an important question at any point, but it's especially important at this season that we're in right now. The question is simply this. When people hear the word Christian, what should they think? Or if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm sure you have some great reasons why you're not. But let me flip it and ask it to you this way. When you hear the word Christian, what should you think? In other words, when you find out that that new boss you have, about two weeks in, you realize, oh, I think they're a Christian. Or when that neighbor, that new neighbor moves in, and after a couple of weeks, you realize, oh, I think they're one of those church people. Or you're dating somebody, and on the second date, they say something, and you think, oh, I think they're one of those followers of Jesus. What is the emotion that you feel when you realize that? Are you excited? Are you positive? Are you going, oh, I'm so glad because I'm telling you, I don't believe like them, but those Christians are some of the best people I know. This is going to be incredible. Or do you find yourself rolling your eyes? Do you find yourself discouraged? Do you find yourself distancing yourself a little bit going, oh boy, here we go. This isn't going to turn out well. See, I think the thing that should come to everyone's mind when they hear the word Christian is positive. I think it ought to be a motion that goes, oh, I'm so glad. I don't believe the way they believe. But man, those are some of the best people I know. This is going to be an incredible experience. As a matter of fact, Some of the words that I think ought to come to mind when anyone mentions a Christian are words like this. Selfless, compassionate, accepting, fun, engaging, and fearless. Now, you know why I think those ought to come to mind? Because when you read the eyewitness accounts that tell us about the life of Jesus, over and over and over again, you find Jesus demonstrated all of these qualities. He was selfless. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He was compassionate. He was accepting. This just blows my mind. For some of you, you've never understood this about God, but it's true. When Jesus was on this earth, people who were nothing like him, people who behaved nothing like him, liked him, and he liked them back. In spite of the fact that they might have been worlds apart in terms of what they believed or how they behaved, Jesus was so accepting of people. It's what drew people to him. Not only that, This one may be hard to believe, but he was fun. If you don't believe me, just read any of the accounts of his life. Pick one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And as you read through it, count up how many times you find Jesus at parties or social gatherings. He was fun. People wanted him to be in those gatherings and in those environments, and he wanted to be there. He was engaging. Nobody was ever bored around Jesus. And as we talked about last week, he was fearless. He was fearless. He was bold. He was braver than hell itself. He was tough as nails. And those of us who are followers of Jesus, when people think about us as Christians, they ought to think about these words because if this is what Jesus was like, this is what we ought to be like too. These are the qualities we ought to reflect. Jesus was this way. His early followers were this way. As a matter of fact, his early followers left us an extraordinary example of what it looks like to be selfless and compassionate and accepting and fun and engaging and fearless. 
They left us an extraordinary example of what it looks like to do what we talked about last week as we started this series. That feeling fear is unavoidable. We all do that. But acting in fear is entirely optional. They left us this extraordinary example of what it looks like to choose to act trusting God, choosing to act as if they were confident God was with them, even in the midst of fearful situations. So what I want to do today is this. I want to show you a few of those examples because I find them to be incredibly inspiring. There's this first century document. We call it Hebrews. And we don't know who wrote the document. It was probably a man because men wrote most of the documents in the first century. It could have been a woman. Just for simplicity's sake, I'm going to say he as we go throughout this. But this first century writer of this document we call Hebrews was writing to a group of Jewish Christians. And one of the things that I find helpful about it is these Christians were asking themselves the same questions that you and I may be asking right now in this season. They were wondering, is it worth it and is it working? Is it worth it? Because they were facing, in some cases, extreme persecution. These were Christians who were caught between the power of the Roman Empire and the anger of the Jewish temple. They had no land to call their own, if you will. They had no people of their own, if you will. They were getting pressed from both sides, persecuted by both groups. And they found themselves wondering, is it worth it? Is it worth it to keep following Jesus when it's costing us so much? And they were also wondering, is it working? Is it working? Here they were in the middle of persecution, and they were being selfless. They were being compassionate. They were being generous. They were being fearless. But they're looking around going, I don't know if it's working. And they don't have the perspective we have. They don't realize here we are 2,000 years later carrying on that legacy and still holding this message that they carried. So they didn't know. And they're wondering, is it worth it? Is it working? And so the writer does something for these Jewish Christians. He begins to remind them of some of their Jewish heroes who have come before. He begins to talk to them. And you can read it for yourself. It's an extraordinary passage in Hebrews 11 where he begins to remind them of Noah and how Noah chose to trust God was who he said he was and that God would do what he promised he would do. And he reminds them of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rachel, and Jacob and Rebekah. He reminds them of Moses and Moses' mama. He reminds them of Rahab. He reminds them of Deborah. He reminds them of all these people that they looked up to. And his point was this. They kept trusting God, would do what he promised he would do, even though they didn't see all the promises come true in their lifetime. And then he begins to remind them of some people who kept following, who kept staying faithful, who kept believing and trusting, even though they saw very little good happen in their lives as a result. And this is really challenging to me. It may be challenging to you because here we are. I mean, we pray for God to do something on Monday and by Wednesday, if it hasn't happened, we're getting discouraged and we give God an extra week. And if he hadn't done it by then, we just give up. These people had extraordinary faith. They kept believing, they kept trusting, even though they didn't see all the promises fulfilled themselves. So here's how the writer reminds them and describes for them some of these people. See if this is helpful to you as well. He says, some of these people faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. Let me just pause right here. I mean, I know some of us, you're going through some difficult things. It's cost you deeply as we've gone through this COVID crisis. But think about it. If you got a choice between your current circumstances, you had to shut down your business, you lost your job, you have financial pressure, you're worried about your parents or your own health. If you got to choose all of your current circumstances or choose 
these circumstances, persecution, being sawed in two, stoned. I mean, you're going to choose yours, aren't you? He's providing us a little perspective. He's saying as difficult as it is for you, and it was difficult for these Jewish Christians he was writing to. He's just reminding them, it's been worse for others who have not lost faith, who have not lost hope in their heavenly father. He goes on. He says, they went about, excuse me, go back. He, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And then he gets emotional. It's like as he's thinking about it, he's realizing, oh my goodness, here I am. I have such a hard time believing and not doubting. And I'm on the other side of it. I've got more perspective. I have more information. It's almost as if he's thinking about the fact that I know God came in human flesh. Jesus died and rose again to pay the penalty for my sins. I know the tomb is empty. And here these people were, and they were looking ahead, and they didn't know. They were looking ahead, and they were just believing a promise. They were looking ahead, and they never saw it happen. And they still didn't lose faith. And he gets so emotional, so he writes this tribute to them. He says this, the world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. In other words, the faith, the trust, the faithfulness they demonstrated was extraordinary. That there was once a version of faith, there was once a version of Christianity that was awe-inspiring. It was inspiring people to be selfless, to be generous, to be loving, to be kind, even in the face of difficulty and even at great personal cost. The world wasn't worthy of them. He goes on. He says, they wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were social distancing before it was trending, but they were doing it because people were trying to hunt them down, trying to kill them. So they were hiding wherever they could. They were all commended, the writer says, for their faith or their trust in God. Yet, don't miss this, none of them received what had been promised. In other words, they continued to trust God was going to do what he promised he would do, even though they didn't see all those promises come true in their lifetime. Can you imagine? They kept doing the right thing. They kept trusting. They kept following, even though they didn't see it all happen. He continues, since God, here's why, since God had planned something better, and this is where we come into this story, for us. In other words, the writer says they didn't see all the promises come true because God was doing something bigger than just their lifetime. God was doing something so big, it was going to change the entire world. God was doing something so big, it was going to impact all of us. So they kept trusting, and God honored their faith, even though they didn't see all the promises, so that only together with us would they be made perfect or would they be made perfect complete. So this writer is writing about these early followers of God, and it's almost as if he's in awe of them. He's going, here I am looking around at my circumstances, and I'm struggling to keep doing the next right thing. I'm struggling to keep trusting God. Here they were. They never saw God do everything he promised he would do in their lifetime, but they never stopped believing. They look forward and remain faithful. Here we are, we have the benefit of looking backward, and we're fearful. They look forward, they never saw it all happen, and they kept trusting anyway. Here we are, we've got the benefit to look backward. We know the tomb is empty. 
We know God has come in human flesh. We've got perspective and information they would have given anything to have. But we look backward and we're still, still fearful. So what do we do? When we find ourselves overwhelmed with anxiety or worry or stress or fear, what do we do? When we find ourselves distracted, what do we do when we find ourselves drifting? What do we do when we find ourselves losing our trust and our faith in our Heavenly Father? Well, the writer of Hebrews gave them and gave us a challenge. Here's what he says we should do. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he says, since you've had so many people go before you, it's like you got all these people in the arena stands cheering you on now as you run your race. You've got Noah. You've got Jacob and Rachel. You've got Abraham and Sarah. You've got Isaac and Rebecca. You've got Moses. You've got Mary. You've got Mary Magdalene. You've got Lydia. You've got Peter and James and John. You've got so many people who have come before you. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, here's your challenge. Let us hoard toilet paper and stock up on hand sanitizer and whine about events being canceled, complain about the media, criticize our leaders, buy all the groceries so there's none left for anyone else, and stop giving generously and complain about teachers, and let's blame Democrats and blame the Republicans and blame the Chinese. While we're at it, let's build a wall and tax the rich and demand our rights and take back our country and sue somebody and then declare it's the end of times and Jesus needs to come back so we don't suffer anymore. I mean, did I miss anybody there? I think I've got us all offended at some point in that, right? Can you imagine? Stop and think about this. Can you imagine what this great cloud of witnesses would say to us? Can you imagine how we must sound to them? They would be looking at us going, you're worried about what? You're frustrated over that? You're anxious about this circumstance? I mean, it, it would blow their minds that in our current situation, that we would be so overwhelmed, that we would be so distracted, that we would be drifting so far off course with just what we're facing. Because for them, what they faced was far, far worse. Now, here's the challenge that the writer gives us. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles he says, all right, listen, you need to find those things that are causing you to drift. You need to find those things that are distracting you from what matters most in life. You need to find those things that are causing you to doubt and lose trust in your heavenly father. And you got to throw them off. You got to set them aside. You got to let them go. That anxiety, that worry, that stress, that fear, that anger, that frustration, those faulty foundations that we're discovering, we've been building our lives on and we've been building our lives around and this crisis has revealed it. That security we've been looking for in our investments, in our cash, in our possessions, in our job, in our future plans, in that relationship or those relationships, all of those faulty foundations that we've thought, oh yeah, I can build my life on this because I'm in control of that. I can build my life on this because it's all good. And now this crisis has shaken all of that. He says, you got to take all those faulty foundations. You got to take that worry, that anxiety, that fear, that stress. And you got to set it aside because it's slowing you down. And it's keeping you from being who you need to be and from trusting the God who's inviting you to trust him through all of this. 
So he says, let's set aside anything that entangles. Let's lay aside anything that's hindering us from building our lives on and around the one who matters most. And he says, let us run with perseverance. Oh, I don't like perseverance. That means it's hard. Yeah, absolutely. He says, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. It's not always going to be easy. You're going to need perseverance, but let's run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. There is a race marked out for you. Here's what he means by that. He means you are where you are for a reason. God has placed you where he's placed you for a purpose. You are exactly where you are for a time just like this because God wants to work in and through you right where you are, right in the middle of this crisis. So he says, come on, come on, don't get distracted. Don't drift. Don't start caring about things that ultimately don't matter. Don't start caring about things that aren't going to outlast you anyway. Focus on what matters most. Build your life on what matters most. Don't give up. And run with perseverance, the race marked out for you, which means do what Jesus would do if he were right there with you. Be who Jesus would be for the people around you because you're placed where you are for a purpose. He has you there to work in and through you to make a difference right in the middle of this crisis with the people that he's placed in your life. You say, well, how do I do that? Because I want to give up. How do I do that? Because it is discouraging. How do I do that? Because I am overwhelmed with anxiety and fear. He says, all right, I'll tell you how. how. Here's the secret. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter, the founder and the finisher of faith. He says, you want to do and be who you were created to be. You want to live the life you were created to live. You want to fulfill the purpose that God has for you and run the race that he has marked for you. Here's what you got to do. You got to fix your eyes on Jesus. Because your direction and your reaction are defined by what you focus on. Your direction and your reaction are defined by what you focus on. Your direction in life is determined by what you pay attention to. Now, you know this, wherever you focus your eyes, that's the direction you're going to go. When you're driving down the road, you've had this happen. If you look for too long to the right or too long to the left, what happens? You drift that direction because you will always move in the direction of your attention. So he says, you got to fix your eyes on Jesus so you'll keep moving in the right direction. Not only that, but your reaction to things, to circumstances, to life is defined by what you focus on as well. See, what this crisis has done is it's revealed some stuff to all of us about our character. It's revealed some stuff to us about our foundation, what we built our life on or what we built our life around. And some of us are discovering that we have built our lives on some things that we thought were very certain and they're not so certain anymore. See, the reason you feel anxiety, the reason you feel so much worry and stress and fear, the reason you're feeling so much anger and frustration, the reason you're overwhelmed with some of those emotions is because the thing you thought was certain in your life that you could count on is being shaken. And when the foundation or the center of your life is shaken, you become scared. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is trying to remind us of. If you will build your life on the right foundation, if you will center your life around Jesus, if you'll just fix your eyes on him, he cannot be shaken. He cannot be lost. Now listen, 
When the most important thing in your life is something you are certain can never be lost, then you are free. You are. When the most important thing in your life is something you are certain can never be lost, you're free to be generous. You're free to be selfless. You're free to be kind. You're free to be caring. You're free to be at peace. If your life is centered on something that can be lost, you're going to be shaken and scared. If your life is centered on Jesus, you're going to be fearless, not fragile, because that is who Jesus was. He was bold. He was fearless. He was braver than hell itself. He was tough as nails. And when you follow him, you can be as well. So the writer says, just fix your eyes on Jesus. And then he rubs our nose in it a little bit. I'll just warn you. It's as if he was saying to these Jewish Christians and to all of us, I know you're going to struggle with this and you're going to want to make excuses and you're going to want to say, well, yeah, but let me tell you my story and what's happening to me. So he says, okay, okay, before you tell me your story, how about this? How about for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Okay, you want to tell me your story? I don't think it's going to trump Jesus being crucified on a Roman cross. Tell me your story. I don't think it's going to be any worse than what he went through. You still want to tell it? No? Okay. This is his way of saying, let me just give you a little perspective. Just remember what the founder, what the father, what the leader of our faith did, what he went through. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So how about we consider him who endured such opposition from sinners? You endured that much opposition? No, me either. He says, how about we consider him and remember him? Now, notice this, so that for the purpose of to make sure that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You feel like giving up sometimes? Not sure how much long you can make, longer you can make it, you just feel discouraged? Writer Hebrews says, all right, you want to know how to persevere, how to run the race with perseverance? Here's how. You just fix your eyes on Jesus. You remember him. Keep your attention focused where it needs to be. It's all the motivation you need. You see, listen, your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Now, don't miss that. Your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. This is why the writer says, fix your eyes on Jesus. See, if you're going through this and the strongest thoughts, the dominating thoughts in your mind every day are the COVID-19 crisis, and whether you're ever going to be able to open up your business again, whether you're ever going to be able to survive financially and find another job, whether you're going to remain healthy, whether your kids are going to remain healthy, whether your parents and grandparents are going to remain healthy. If your mind is dominated by the strongest thoughts about this crisis, or if your mind is dominated by strongest thoughts about the things that you are having to give up and losing, you will remain anxious, worried, and fearful because your life will move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. But here's the great news. You and I, we get to choose what we focus on. You don't get to choose all the thoughts that pop in and out of your head. You don't have control over that. You have total control over which of those thoughts you're going to allow to become the strongest thoughts in your mind and in your heart. You get to choose what you focus on. So the writer says to you and says to me, don't get distracted. Don't drift from what's most important. Don't get caught up in all the circumstances around you. 
Don't be overwhelmed by fear and anxiety and worry and stress. And by all means, don't make the mistake of building your life on a faulty foundation that can be shaken and taken from you. Fix your focus on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. When those thoughts start to pop in your mind, here's what you get the opportunity to do, and so do I. We can choose to change our focus. We can choose what's going to be the strongest thought we hold on to. So here's what I want to encourage you to do this week. When those emotions start welling up inside of you, when you find yourself getting distracted, when you find yourself overwhelmed and discouraged, would you pause and would you just begin talking to Jesus about what you're feeling? Shift your focus and your attention from what is so uncertain, what is so troubling, what is so difficult, and shift it to him. And bring all of that to him and talk to all of him about that all you want. Because you know what you're going to discover on the other side. You're going to discover your life will move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So if you will fix your focus on the one who loves you and died and rose again to pay for your sins, you will find yourself moving in the direction of your attention. And you will find yourself living fearlessly. Listen, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, at the end of this crisis, at the end of this crisis, when people hear the word Christian, what do you want them to think about you? You know what I hope they think about us? I hope the words that come to mind at the end of this crisis are selfless. Those followers of Jesus, they were so selfless through the middle of all of that. They were compassionate. They showed up and they cared for people who were struggling. They were accepting. They were accepting of people who were like them and people who were not like them. They were accepting of people who were struggling with anxiety and worry and anger and fear. They were fun. They never lost their sense of joy in the middle of it. They were engaging. And they were fearless. Now listen, you and I get to choose today how we're going to live and it will define whether people think these words about us tomorrow. We get to decide what comes to mind when we're on the other side of this crisis and somebody mentions a Christian. So let's choose well. Let's choose wisely. And let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who was bold and fearless. He was braver than hell itself. And he was tough as nails. And if we will fix our focus on him, these things will be true of us as well. Let me pray for us. Father, would you help us? Because it's not easy. We get distracted. Would you help us? Because we have things that entangle us. We have sin that hinders us. Would you help us? Because we drift so easily. So help us this week to remember when we start to get distracted by stuff that doesn't matter, stuff that won't outlast us, when we start to be overwhelmed by anxiety and worry and stress and fear and anger and frustration, would you remind us to fix our focus on you, the founder, the finisher of our faith? Would you remind us of what you went through to prove your love to us and help us to gain perspective and run the race you marked out for us with perseverance? Thank you, Father, for reminding us that you're so much bigger 
than our current circumstances. Jesus, you're so much greater than anything we're facing. And you are the only foundation upon which we can build our lives. You're the only one that we can center our lives around. And we don't have to worry about losing you. We don't have to worry about being shaken. That we can live fearless and not fragile because that's who you are and that's how you lived. We're so grateful to know that you're bigger than all of this we face. So help us to turn our attention to you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you'd take a moment to rate and review this podcast, it would really be helpful. And if you live near our church, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our phenomenal children and student environments, just visit us at journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Look forward to seeing you soon.